Welcome back to the Rebuildable Podcast. I'm Matt Gentile alongside Drew Stevens, and we are coming ever so close to the start of NBA free agency and the start of the new league year in the NBA. And there's a lot surrounding the Chicago Bulls, a lot of intrigue around the league with this new CBA coming into effect soon. Uh, But first, I definitely want to get your thoughts, Drew, on what transpired last week during the NBA draft. So the Bulls didn't make their way into the first round, but they did find their way into the second round by training with the Washington Wizards at the number 35 spot. They pick freshman forward Julian Phillips from Tennessee. So far, the book on him is that he's a high-energy defender and rebounder, but struggles from three-point range. However, solid free throw shooter, which I like because I subscribe to that theory that if you're a good free throw shooter in college and early in your NBA career, it's a developmental trait potentially for you. But, you know, it definitely seems like a project type piece. Um, But what were your overall thoughts just on them getting into the second round and, and selecting Julian Phillips with that pick? So it was exciting for them to trade to get into the draft I think a lot of talk coming into the into the draft itself was just you know where the Bulls going to pull something off just to um, improve their roster the best way they could but I got to admit when I saw this young man and I looked up kind of what his strengths and weaknesses are at this, this current stage of his career it, it, it very underwhelming mm. is the way I put it um I know I've seen some people say he seems like another Dalen Terry, but to me, I immediately thought of Derrick Jones Jr. just because of the the vertical, um, kind of that wiry frame. Um, like you said, it doesn't appear to be much of a three-point shooter at this point, which is weird because I think I read that in high school, in AAU, and in the combine, he showed himself to be a pretty good shooter. Somewhere along the line, his mechanics have kind of gone awry. Um, I read something about him taking too wide of a base when he shoots, and, and that leading to him have thrown up a lot of air balls um, while he was with Tennessee. But I do like his athleticism, uh, and and from from all accounts, and of course from AK and Mark Eversley specifically, they they really touted his defensive ability and even saying that he could step in and defend from day one on this level, which that's, that's pretty, that's saying something, you know, um, but to give up reportedly two second round picks for somebody who doesn't project to help this roster in a meaningful, in a meaningful way, particularly being able to space the floor. That's for me, that's kind of a hard sell. And I wonder how much of that played into the assembled media that was gathered when Acme came out. Because I think you can hear it if you guys watch that video, the, the press conference live, when they first came out, you know, AK made something to the effect of, man, where's the energy in here? And, and Mark Eversley was saying, hey, wake up, guys. And I wonder how much of that draft pick, like kind of just the over, un- underwhelming um, part of that, you know, and not being somebody who projects to help this team right away. I wonder how much that kind of played into into the fact that um, it 
was, it was a little sleepy in there. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, because you and I'm, I'm trying to remember, you were actually at the Advocate Center for this, weren't you? For for it's the bigs. I was. It was it was a long evening. Josh Josh Shakes and I were there. Hmm. And <laughs> like I, I can only imagine, like if you're, you know, kind of waiting for for all that action, and, and there was so much, you know, like smoke leading into the into the draft that you thought, oh, well, maybe there could be a flurry of moves happening in the first round. Uh, and maybe the Bulls could get involved even as the, the first round kind of lingers on. I mean, it's actually interesting, the the smoke pun, by the way, given that we're, we're recording this on uh, June 27th, and this is like the worst air quality day ever in the history, I think, of like Chicago or the whole Chicago <laughs> suburb. So I guess it's very apropos with the fact that it's all because of smoke. Um, but <laughs> anywho, just real quick, quick aside, I don't mean to go off on a side tangent, Drew, but have you ever gone into your favorite pizza place and sometimes um, something like either pizza burned or like some ingredient burned or like something got real smoky in the back of the kitchen? You were yeah. like, that's yeah. what it smells like today. <laughs> I, like it smells like one of my favorite pizza joints. Like you Chicago know, like, burning. Yeah. Like uh, <laughs> it's very apropos. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I, just to get back to the the point there, um, I, I could see like why it probably was a little rough too. If you're if you're covering that, you know, you're kind of expecting maybe something to to happen around one. Nothing happens. It seems like long shot that you're gonna make a a move into the second round, and then all of a sudden, nope, oh, whoa, that that popped up out of nowhere, and you gotta then start digging on who this Julian Phillips guy is, probably in some cases, right? So, um, I could see why that could be an issue if you're covering it, but. Yeah, and to get back to the player, like, I definitely look at at second-round picks always as projects. Like, you just never know what you're going to get out of a second-round pick. But um, I, I think, like I said, I, I could see this as sort of like a developmental guy, and I think they're banking maybe on this whole Peter Patton experiment. Um, of course, you know, the, the new shooting coach and, and new uh, player development guy that they've brought on. It wouldn't surprise me if this is sort of like a, a potential test case. Like, could he and Dale and Terry be the, the guinea pigs, if you will, for if, you know, investment in player development like this investment in shooting is, you know, going to be a, a route they have to take with some of these draft picks because, I mean, shit, with this new CBA, like, your draft picks, player development are going to be huge. And and what we've seen so far with, you know, Pat Williams, Io DeSumo, Dalen Terry, that development has been really slow, um, you know, in terms of the, the pace you want to see them at, right? So maybe that's – maybe they're just doubling down on, on that investment with Peter Patton. Yeah, I mean, Mark Eversley, like, really talked him up a lot. I don't know if he meant to come off this way, but it almost gave the impression that them finding ways to fix the shooting begins and ends with Peter Patton. I, I doubt that's, or hope that's not what the case is, but that's that's how much they talked him up during the press conference. And if you look at his resume, I mean, um, he studied somewhat under Chip England, who's like a world-renowned shooting coach. Um, 
I've heard Casey Johnson of NBC Sports speak highly about him as well. And just the fact that Jalen Brunson also speaks highly about Peter Patton. Um, but, you know, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take more than hiring somebody who can't actually get on the court to fix the problems that are actually on the court. You know, it reminds me a lot, and I'm a Cubs fan for – for those of you maybe that are, are new to the podcast or haven't heard me really bring it up a lot, but you know, years ago, this is I think almost like twelve years ago now, dating myself a little bit. When the Cubs hired this hitting coach named Rudy Jaramillo, okay, he was like this renowned hitting coach in Major League Baseball, and he got to the Cubs, and everyone thought like this is their big free agent acquisition. That was that was what was being touted by. Um, Jim Hendry at the time and well it turned out you know they just didn't actually have the guys that could do the job you know at the plate and so yeah great you get one of the best hitting coaches in the game but it really doesn't matter if they just maybe don't have that natural ability you know so I always kind of cringe whenever people fall back on like your assistant coaches. That's always a little scary or, or, or people that are involved in, in the player development, right? Like I don't want to hitch my wagon to that. Do I love that they made that hire? Absolutely. Like I'm thrilled that they brought somebody in that can really, you know, at least maybe take that, take it a step further. Like it, it never hurts, right? Like if you have guys that maybe have some of those developable, developable traits, then great. Like, I know I just brought this up with Julian Phillips, but like that free throw trait's a big one with NBA scouts, right? If if you have the ability to shoot free throws at a high percentage, you know, maybe you can be at least a respectable three-point shooter or at least improve your consistency from shooting from the outside. Like that's kind of the thought process behind that. And maybe that's the kind of guy that needs a shooting coach to get to the next level. But, you know, some guys just don't have that ability or maybe are just never going to have that consistency there. So... Um, yeah, I definitely don't want to, I don't want to get too excited. And yeah, you're right. Like Mark Eversley was really, really pushing that, that hire as a, as a major move. So I, I hope that when free agency is over or this, uh, the summer's over that that's not the, the line being fed to us as well. You know, our big acquisition was Peter Patton. Yeah. I think it's important though. I don't know the facts or the history I'd have to, as somebody who's more in the know than I am, but I believe this he could be the first shooting coach that the Bulls have had. Um, I don't know what the history is around the league, how many teams have shooting coaches or how long a drought there may have been before they hired their first, but it, it's a it's a good move. I don't I don't want to poo-poo the move, but I just hope that there's successive moves coming behind it um, that make the initial move look even better, you know? Mm-hmm. Agreed. And, one, you know, it's it's interesting. I don't think that this trade that the Bulls made to draft Julian Phillips, I don't believe it's been finalized yet. So I wonder what's happening there. If if some more pieces are moving, is it going to actually end up being two second round picks that the Bulls trade? Um, as we know, they they don't <laughs> they don't have a, a a hefty amount of draft capital. So to send out two second round picks. Well, I find it interesting too. Like, this is what I was wondering because I saw that that tweet come out, and I haven't seen like 
if it eventually did get finalized, because why would the Bulls social media handle be tweeting out and sending out a lot of stuff involving Julian Phillips? Like, I don't know if it's the same as the NFL, where the NFL, it's like you cannot make anything official until everything is officially, officially finalized. And so, like, that that's what I thought was the same in the NBA. So, I don't know. Did something happen maybe that just didn't get publicized? Because I, I had seen that initial tweet about, hey, nothing's been finalized yet. But, you know, they've definitely tweeted out a lot of content about Julian Phillips already, which, I don't know, that would lead me to believe maybe something kind of did happen or... Or I don't know. Maybe it's maybe the rules have changed in the NBA now. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not even sure myself, man. But that's hey. What what, what would uh, <laughs> the NBA offseason be without intrigue surrounding what the Bulls are doing and who's been actually brought in and who's been extended and all of these different things? Always got to be a. Uh, <laughs> some level of intrigue with this team, even if it's not necessarily in the control. Yeah. It's, I think there's just been like a lot of, um, a lot of kind of eyebrows raised coming, you know, I think out of draft night in general. Um, So you were there covering the press conference. So it was interesting. It was definitely interesting. Like uh, definitely a chesty Arturis Karnaschovas for most part. I wanted to get your thoughts on that real quick. Like, did that did that come off to you in the assembled media there? Because it's certainly listening to the replay of it. I was very that was my first takeaway. I listened to it like the next morning after I woke up. I was traveling for work this past week, and the next day I listened to the press conference as I was at the airport getting ready to come home, and I was like, "Wow, this is." Very interesting. He's very, it seems like, confident. He's telling Bulls fans, you just wait. You just wait. I got a plan. Did that resonate with you when you were covering it? What What? What was your thoughts on Arturis Karnaschovas' uh, exhibition there? <laughs> Honestly, in, in the moment, he, he didn't come off um, as self-assured as he may have seen in retrospect. Um I think the thing that kind of was was funny was once the press conference wrapped up, you know, one of the last questions that he was asked was um, Casey Johnson uh, came from Casey Johnson, just asked him about the tax and, you know, what would come with that if he felt confident that the team with would, would the, the owners with ownership would go into the tax if need be. And of course, he he gave kind of an ambiguous answer initially, and then he said yes. When, when KC kind of tried to pin him down on the answer and following the press conference, KC was, he was like, you know, kind of clapping his hand, like this team was going into the tax, but everybody else, all the rest of the media, it, it was a different, it, the same energy wasn't there. So I don't know, I think everybody kind of read it differently. I know from, from my standpoint, and I've heard about a, lot of, a lot of other people on Bulls Twitter echo the same thing. I don't think the Bulls are going into the tax. Like, I think he was answering that in the sense of if him and Mark and uh, Mark Evans are able to get this team to a certain stature, that ownership would go into the tax. But I don't think they'll go into the tax for this team. Hmm. I mean, it's... It, it just wouldn't make a whole lot of sense 
it, well, you and I joked about this, I feel like a couple of weeks ago, I said to you, wouldn't it be so bowls if the time they decide to go on the luxury tax is when they probably shouldn't be going into the luxury tax, right? Like this would be the time that the Chicago Bulls do it. I, my only interest in going into the tax would be as if you're really making significant moves to to really help the team. Like you're 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 taking a home run swing, but you know, like, and we're gonna get into this whole like shift in in philosophy going on right now because of the new CBA, but. I don't know. It just it, it would seem weird that this is now the time that the Bulls will go into the luxury tax. It, it just I, I think it was more of a an open ended statement of yeah, you know the Reinsdorfs have given me that okay that I can do it, but I don't know. It, we've heard this before. Like we've we've yeah. heard that before. Michael Reinsdorf said this to Casey Johnson, kind of vaguely in February of 2022. You know, when the Bulls were towards the top of the Eastern Conference at that point. Um, and you got to wonder, like, is that if, let's say, we get to the trade deadline and the Chicago Bulls are sitting somehow in the top six, top four, right? That's that range that was kind of brought up in the press conference. Is that when the Ryans are saying, okay, go, go make that extra move? We'll, we'll, we'll give you our blessing because we feel this team is in that championship contention window or Eastern conference contending window. Like maybe that's what they mean, you know, not necessarily, Hey, right now, this summer, get yourself in position to get there and we'll be willing to cut a check and, and pay for you guys to go into the tax or other option. Go into the tax now, and then when we get to the trade deadline, let's assess where we're at. Because if we're not good, we're getting out of there. <laughs> that, that's the other route I could see. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. If if you're going to go into the tax, then, like, open that pocketbook up for Fred Van Vliet and Max Struess. Like, really really crack it open. Um, right. If, if, you, if ownership feels compelled to save uh, AK and, and Mark Eversley from the situation that they're in right now, like, you really got to – um, go for it. In that mm-hmm. case, don't don't just go into the tax to bring back largely the same team, the same roster. Because at that point, I mean, it's it's you're you're, you're kind of just wasting time, man. Well, I feel like if you're if you're committing to go into the tax, like if I were in their shoes, to me that would be a move. Like you're saying, Fred Van Fleet. It would also mean like maybe I ship out one guy, and and I know we've talked about this ad nauseum, but like. You're shipping out maybe a DeMar DeRozan, bringing in a Fred Van Vliet, and then making another impact signing. So you're changing the profile of the team and kind of setting yourself up of like, all right, this is our last our last swing. We're giving Zach everything he needs. We are, we're bringing back Vucevic, who maybe has a better you know two-man game with Zach. And we're adding impact point guard and shooter, bringing in another shooter, and we're we're – going to see if this can actually be the team that maybe brings you into that playoff spot in the Eastern Conference, that one through six spot. So, you know, that to me would be the major move to kind of bring you into into that. But, like, again, there's a lot that you have to do, and then there's there's this whole thing with the CBA, and I do want to get into it because I think this kind of shifts into even some of the things you brought up about 
uh, in your article for for on tap about Zach Levine and kind of the cloudiness around around his status. So this is kind of set the scene for our listeners. The new CBA that starts on July first. Um, the, it there's this new provision of a second apron that's coming in a lot. It's being brought up on a lot of podcasts and a lot of uh, different article content, but basically the gist of this second apron, it, it penalizes teams who go deep into the tax. So if you enter the second apron, you lose a lot of privileges that you used to have in this previous CBA. So you no longer can use the taxpayer mid-level exception. You can't sign players on the buyout market during the season. You can't trade draft picks seven years out from the date of the trade. And you can't trade for players on contracts with more money than you send out. So all of those like different tools you have and creative ways to add to your team, you're being heavily handcuffed now. And what we saw a couple of days ago with, with John Collins is I think what's got a lot of NBA fans and, and Bulls fans in particular looking and going, well, wait, like, is this trade market completely shot to shit? Because John Collins, who's 25 years old, and say what you want, I know there's like a lot of discourse about John Collins around around the NBA. Like, is he worth the contract he's being paid? But look, he's a 25-year-old young wing. And I think he's been pretty efficient aside from last season. I think last year was a really rough year for him. You know, his scoring was down, uh, you know, three-point shooting percentage, field goal shooting percentage were all pretty low for, you know, his career numbers. But he's been a pretty solid player, and usually a player like that would net you a first-round pick and and matching salary of, of another impact player. But they got Rudy Gay's contract and second round draft capital for him. You know, Utah's basically saying to Atlanta, Hey, we're going to do you a favor. We're going to get this contract off your books. If you take, you know, Rudy Gay and, and second round draft capital, like they, they look at it as we're helping you out. Not, Hey, we're gaining a 25 year old to pair with Laurie marketing and, and, you know, our young core. It, it's kind of bizarre. Um, so I think it's got a lot of us thinking like, all right, is this potential trade market for Zach Levine going to be similar? And, you know, you alluded in your piece for On Tap that AK hasn't totally shut the door, given that he was so confident on some other fronts. It was kind of weird that he sort of, I don't know, just didn't really say like, that's our guy, didn't, didn't say anything like that. Just kind of left it a little open-ended, like he's working, getting back to work. Okay, that's not really answering the question. Um, but I don't know, like, this trade market, I, if you're the Bulls, like, have you gauged it and said, shit, there's no desirable package that would make us want to ship Zach Levine out of town? I mean, it, you know, from the deals that we've seen come across so far, I wouldn't blame him for feeling that way. Um yeah, you, you, especially considering that we've heard from Jake Fisher that our uh, AK holds a steep valuation of Levine. So we know we, we know he's not just going to give him away for pennies on the dollar, which seems to be the going rate for um, players who are on sizable contracts. Um, 
even if they are, you know, good players and productive, can be productive players on a team. Mm-hmm. And looking at how things are kind of shaking out right, right now, it kind of cuts two ways. One is looking at the market, you know, and seeing what's out there and believing that this front office is not going to be able to get anywhere close to Zach Levine's value um, and saying, okay, I can kind of make peace with them, maybe not shipping them off right now. The other way it cuts is the, f- the further crying over spilled milk as in like, man, if they would have just made some of these moves at the trade deadline in the mm. summer of, 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 of 2022, like what, what position would they be in now? It, it's, it's, it's senseless to do that. Cause it's just, you know, you, it's, it's not going to change anything, but those are the two ways my mind goes about looking at what's happening right now. Like there is a double-edged sword to this. I like, I, I agree with you that, you know, you're not, I think going to get the value that you saw players getting last year. And, and that's, I think sort of been echoed by, you know, smarter guys than me on the NBA front. But I also don't think it's going to be like what Michael Pena's throwing out from the ringer. Like, you know, he threw out, you, you sent this to me today about it basically swapping Levine for Tobias Harris. This was just sort of a scenario he brought up. And I think maybe if, if Philly include draft capital with that, like, I don't think, I don't think we're getting to that point with Zach. I also don't think like, it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be like what we're seeing with Tobias Harris, like that kind of a trade, or what we saw with the John Collins trade. Um, I also don't think that really fat trade package that we were talking about with the Knicks, like, I don't think maybe that's a possibility anymore. I think it could be somewhere in between, though. Like, I still think, like, the Knicks are that team that you can identify as possibly being able to do business with them now or at the deadline this coming season and still being able to get maybe some semblance of draft capital and a nice young player. Like I think that's the team that has the, the bullets in their holster holster to do it without you having to, you know, cry poor to a team like, you know, Houston or Utah that is able to take on, you know, big contracts so I do think there's a way to go about it. It's just, it's, I, I, that's the, that's the million dollar question. Like what is it that's going to be palatable for this front office to make that deal? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, we were talking before we've been talking about how, who's the one player that if the front office trades him, it automatically signals a rebuild with the way this is going even more so, like because because you're not, it doesn't appear that you'd be able to get much of any um, asset package back for him. Like you really are, like yeah. At that point, it's not even man. You're not even really getting any seeds to rebuild with. You know, as opposed yeah. to maybe say a, a situation that Portland's in, where they have young players in a Scoot Henderson and a Shaden Sharp and Anthony Simons. They have a big salary big time guy in, in Damian Litter who they could trade possibly. Um, and they kind of have like the rebuilder, re, rebuilder blazer starter pack that you would need to really get things going. Um, yeah. That's, that wouldn't be the case 
here. But I think one one thing we have to we have to reshape the conversation with is the trade that Michael Pena brought up. It's less, especially if if it would happen, which I don't think it won't. It won't. I don't think it will. But if it were to happen and there weren't weren't any draft picks involved, it would it would be less Zach Levine for Tobias Harris and more so Zach Levine for a cleared out. You're cleared out books and, and what that could mean for you moving forward. And that's and I think that's the scary part because Zach Levine's not the type of chip that you trade away to just clear the books. You know what I mean? Like that's what I see DeMar DeRozan as. Like DeMar DeRozan is more about clearing out the books and allowing you then to add more quality pieces on the fringes, right? On the margins. Or Lonzo Ball. Or Lonzo Ball, if if you can yeah. somehow make that work. Or you you have to go into that you know some of those injury options that you have open to you. But my only concern is with Zach. You I feel like you do have to get something of note for him. If it's to Tobias Harris, like Tobias Harris gets shit on a lot. I mean he is a good player, but like where he's at in his NBA career, if there's like no significant draft capital included, that's going to be a hard pill to swallow. Like. I think Bulls Nation revolts if that's the kind of move that gets made for Zach Levine. And I, I get it. The trade market could be completely thrown out of whack. But there's got to be better deals than that on the table. Like, I would think there's there's got to be at least one trade that's going to net you draft capital and maybe a player. When I say a player of note, even if it's like high-end young role player or some type of, you know, young player with maybe some flaws like there's got to be that kind of package out there i think that that could be available to the bulls because you know zach levine i joke about this with you before we hop down like the ringer just seems to never really value zach levine um and it makes you wonder like is there is that the book that maybe we as bulls fans don't realize is out there on him but i would have to think that there's more value to a Zach Levine around around the league, but uh, who knows? Maybe I'm naive. Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe I am too because you know he's obviously. I think we we both watch the Bulls more so than any other team, and um, we've gotten to know Zach since he's been a Bull, and we've seen how his game has grown since he's been here, and how his um, even his fame and obviously his bank account has grown since he's been here. Um, so maybe we we get a little bit um I don't know how to put it we, his his flaws maybe aren't as stark as people who don't see him quite as often they maybe they're able to pinpoint it a little bit better or they feel worse about his flaws than we do I mean we know what they are it's not to say that we don't recognize um, the areas of his game that have needed to improve for some seasons now but. Um, yeah, I, I, he definitely does not seem to have a great reputation nationally. It almost feels like people kind of have labeled him a, a non-winner. Yeah, and and it's I think it's a little unfair, just given I think the situation he's been surrounded by throughout his career, like like what happened in Minnesota, is that really on on Zach? that they were a mess. Tom Thibodeau gets there. 
kind of quickly rebuilds stuff and then wants to make a swing at Jimmy Butler. Then he ends up in another situation where a rebuild starts. And then even in the midst of, of the rebuild, like they, they hired probably one of the dumbest coaches that you could hire in league history. And then they change regimes and the next regime wants to quickly enter win now mode. Like it is weird circumstances that have set up for Zach Levine to this point, you know, um, and I think a lot of us, like we've, we've kind of talked about this, I think before on the pod that, you know, you look at like the time where really it was Zach's show with competency, right? So with Billy Donovan in the picture, the new regime in, and you look at the beginning of that 2021 season when Zach was the focal point and you were still kind of struggling, right? Like it, nothing was perfect at that point, but you also had, I mean, think about it. You had Wendell Carter Jr. without glasses and really struggling to, at that point, I think he was so shot because of everything that Jim Boylan made him as a player, right? Like just totally miscast as a player with the Bulls. And then Laurie Markkinen at that point, like I think was at one of his lowest points in his career. So it's kind of hard to gauge. Like what can Zach be when he is a focal point? Like when you had DeMar, Zach, Vooch, with Lonzo, I feel like at that point we saw what it could look like. Like, wow, this is this is a good fit. These pieces are fitting well together. But the minute you take that guy out, you take Lonzo out, then it's kind of just a hodgepodge. And I think that's where you kind of see these conflicting pieces on the floor and where Zach's game isn't really always going to flourish because you still have DeMar DeRozan kind of stepping on his toes. And it's more like a me turn, you know, my turn, my turn, my turn, my turn type of game. So that's, I kind of go back and forth. Like, have we really seen all we can see with Zach yet? And and do we need to like, and I'm kind of talking myself into it. Like is the better move and the move that maybe in this trade market would make more sense, given that he has a, a year left on his deal is DeMar DeRozan. Is that the guy that needs to be more floated out there in some of those trade scenarios to, you know, one, clear the books, and two, maybe net you at least something in return so you don't lose him for nothing after this year. I think so. I think, you know, before we even knew what the new CBA was going to be and what all it would tell, I think we were already kind of at that point where, well, I know, at least let me speak for myself, I know I was in terms of, kind of if you were going to move somebody who would you rather move first um kind of situation because you still got time with Zach you know if if you choose to to keep him and if you still are trying to are are gunning for staying competitive or as competitive as you can be and not trying to bottom out then that's the guy who needs to be here in, in in my opinion um obviously he's got the age uh, factor working for him against DeMar and um, just him being, a, you know, we, we, we go through this. We've, we've talked about this, him being a three-level yeah. scorer. Like, we know, we know what the differences are, but we also know what 
would be lost if DeMar was gone and not replaced either via trade with him or just somewhere else on a roster with a competent point guard, with shooting, you know, there's, there's, it's, it's going to be a different team for sure, but it, it's, it seems like um, the lesser of two evils. Well, and that's the interesting thing too, like with him being maybe that potential piece that gets shipped out, uh, DeMar, is this where you can then justify going into the tax? Like I, I kind of hinted to that earlier. Is that maybe the, the move that's up AK sleeve right now that, all right, I can make a flurry if I know I can get DeMar off the books and start opening the floodgates just a little bit. Like I can at least maybe make more impactful moves around the margins, or maybe I can acquire somebody that might be a better fit. Like I get it. This might you know be crazy if you're moving a DeMar DeRozan to, you know, I'll throw a team out there like the Dallas Mavericks and you get, a Tim Hardaway Jr. back as part of a package, like that seems kind of crazy because, like, well, what what does Tim Hardaway Jr. bring of value to you? Well, he brings shooting to your team, but you know what I mean. Like, two years left on his deal can at least provide something on the margins that you need, and you know maybe you're I don't know acquiring future draft capital and. It, given this market might be a second round pick that you're getting back, but maybe that makes more sense. And maybe then that's where the floodgates open in other spots too. Like then you're able to kind of be a little more nimble. I don't know. Like that's kind of move that I think I'd be okay with. I don't know if other bulls fans would be as happy just given that, you know, again, DeMar is all NBA level. You would expect more. But given this trade market, I don't know if we're going to get more. I think that's the scary part. Like, that's, I don't know if that's going to be an option. I, I think Bulls fans need to start bracing for reality that these are the kind of moves that might be offered. And if you're the Bulls, like, that's the tricky part. Do you try to find ways to improve the roster from a fit standpoint? And if you look at Zach as your primary piece and you look at Vooch as the better secondary fit to him then do you do you let this stew for another year or do you say we need to swap something out and if you do it you know should you get mad if you're a bulls fan <laughs> that they're trying to change the profile because again double-edged sword you either lose him for nothing or lose him for a lower value now yeah i mean i wonder um how much him being on the last year of his contract is going to hurt his value because I, I don't know what the what team's cast space is going to be like next season uh, or next summer. Like who's who's going to who who would want him now that would say no to a deal now because they think they can get him in the summertime. You know what I mean? I guess it doesn't figure to be too many upper echelon playoff teams. I, I would assume most of those teams are capped out. Mm. Um, but again, it just and, it, and then it goes right back to damn. If they just would have been a little more proactive, they could have avoided some pitfalls. Well, the one thing that maybe, maybe, maybe could be attractive is if you make that move for Demar now. If you're another team and you feel like you're on the verge, maybe you make that move. You're willing to give up some pieces for it. 
And you might have it in the back of your mind that if we get to the trade deadline and we don't want to cross into that second apron by the end of the year, at least we have a guy on an expiring deal that we could move either to a team that wants to collect our salary dump or to another contending team that's willing to bite that bullet. Like, that's the only thing that I can think of. Like, you you could, that could be the attractive part of a DeMar DeRozan where a Zach, you have more years left and you might have to worry about that. And that's that's a weird thing to say, but again, thinking more in this cap mindset or this apron mindset, that's the one thing that I could see that might be attractive about a DeMar DeRozan. Yeah, I think the situation described uh, with DeRozan and another team possibly is kind of similar to what Golden Stages did with Jordan Poole and, and Chris Paul. You bring Chris Paul in, he's got a, a fairly sizable contract, but it's expiring. Um, this situation obviously a little bit different. Their championship contender, who is very heavily into the tax, or at least was um, headed to be um, a heavily penalized team, but now you have Jordan Poole's contract on, and next summer Chris Paul will be off the books, so it's going to open up uh, mm-hmm. more avenues for what they want to do as a team moving forward. So I, I think when you when you said that. I automatically thought about Golden State and Chris Paul and, and the situation there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it, and then, you know, the Rosen, it's just what team is, is, is going to, you yeah. know, what team is going to shoot for him because he's such a, such a specialized offensive player. You know what I mean? He's it's such true. An awesome isolation score. Um, he can do wonders for the team offensively, but it's got to be a certain infrastructure there for him if you, if you were to bring him in. It's not the same as bringing a Chris Paul in. D- different mm-hmm. issues, concern, you know, issues and with his injury history, but... Yeah, and and it, that's a good point to, to bring up, too. Like, it, it has to be a very special situation for it to work. Um, I do want to clarify something that I said earlier. So, I mentioned that the new CBA takes effect on July 1st. That is true, but the rules of the second apron don't take effect until the end of the 2024 season. So all of those restrictions are sort of like, it's basically making everybody get their affairs in order now because come July 1 of 2024, that's when all those other things kind of come into play about the inability to use the mid-level exception, um, the the trade regulations and all that, that all starts July 1st, 2024. But again, new CBA technically takes effect now because they signed that deal. It's been approved, but all of these regulations don't take effect until another year. So just want to get clarify that. But again, a lot of this is happening now in terms of the preparation for it. Um Actually, one of the things that I wanted to ask, uh, kind of go back to Zach and, and his trade market. For you to pull that trigger, like kind of knowing what we kind of see happening around the league with the change in, in trade philosophy, what is the package, I guess, now that might convince you to trade Zach Levine? Like, is it like how different is it now than maybe it was a week or two ago in your mind? 
That's a good question, man. Mm. That's a good question. Um, I'm debating whether or not it means you have to choose between draft capital or a promising young player. You know, which which one do you want to value more? And just kind of assuming you're not going to get a player who's of Zach Levine's caliber. I guess it would still have to, I could maybe, maybe part ways with the idea of getting a promising young guy in return for him and, and settle maybe instead for uh, a deal that would involve more draft capital. Mm. That's my, kind of my instant reaction to that question. Are, are you, are you there or are you, is your mind somewhere different? I mean, there's part of me that it just depends on who the team is that I can make a deal with. You know, like if there's a team that has, you know, young players of interest that I think I could definitely use that as a resetting piece, then I might be more inclined to say, I'll, I'll take that player and, you know, maybe it's, it's lower draft capital. Like I, one of the things that I keep thinking of in my head is like we, we talked about the New York Knicks. Um, you know, in this trade market, are they not willing to part with, you know, w- one of Grimes and Quigley? And does that mean, like, if you can't get Quigley or Grimes, does that mean, you know, the, the packages with, like, Obi Toppin, R.J. Barrett, and then one pick or two picks? You know, like, I, that, that might be the only kind of move you could you could get. And it's like, is that worth it? If it's a couple of picks, maybe. But again, are, where are those picks going to land with New York? Probably pretty Late low in the draft. You know? Yeah. So is that worth it? I don't know. But then there's the argument in the NBA. If you keep stacking the cupboard with first-round draft capital, it arms you for your next move. So ugh, it's tough. But then, it, And then I'll, I'll flip it to this. If they say, all right, we'll give you you know, quickly or Grimes, one of those players, but we're going to throw in Fournier and you're not getting any draft capital. That's a tough one because it's like, I, I could convince myself that one of those players would be nice to have. Um, but I don't know. Like then at that point, it's like, do you just keep Zach? You know? I, yeah. Yeah. For, at, at that point, that'd be an easy no for me. If I'm not getting any draft capital back, yeah. Because part of the collateral damage of what's happened from the DeMar DeRozan and Nikola Vucevic acquisitions is now you don't have that. You need draft capital back. Like just, just because of those deals, um, obviously we've just seen the Bulls pay off what they owe for getting Nikola Vucevic. They still have to do the same for DeRozan in 2025, but um, you have to get – there has to be some draft capital coming back for Levine. Oh, man. Like, I'm just trying to think. Like, if, if you tried to... All right, so let me throw this at you then. All right, I'm going to... I pulled up Fanspo real quick because I want to see how this would... Uh-oh. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I want to see how this would work. So if I did, I don't know, a trade package that... If we wanted to include one future first-round pick and it was... Obi Toppin, R.J. Barrett, 
And da, 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 da. actually, you know, I'll take I'm gonna take uh, Obi out of it. Let's say it's R.J. Barrett and it's Evan Fournier, and I include a first round pick for Zach Levine. Would you pull the trigger on that because you're getting first round draft capital? Would it have to be more than that? Would I have to give you two? I'm asking for the for the world. Like I, I need, I need to know how many picks you're giving me because I'm taking on a bad contract. And that, you could you could argue two bad contracts. There, this is what <laughs> I want to get into. So like that's that's why the Knicks are a very intriguing team to me because then the Knicks have some different pieces that you can do that make the trade intriguing, right? Like the Fournier contract is a bad contract. The R.J. Barrett contract, controversial. I still think he's a talented young player. I don't know where his ceiling's going to be, but at the very least, he's going to be one of those, I like to call it fringe all-stars, like randomly pops into the all-star game one year. <laughs> but then on another year, he's just probably like a really good role player. Like He's the, he's the, he's the injury replacement all-star? Yes, he's like Jalen Rose. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that, that kind of guy. That's how I would envision him. So if I'm adding that guy at Evan Fournier, then yeah, I would want to get at least two draft picks back, maybe even three. That's the kind of situation. Cause I could say I'm helping you and I'm giving you a player of value that on your roster with Jalen Brunson and Julius Randall seems like a, a decent fit, Like could at least the very least could improve your trajectory with those two other young players too, yep. with with Grimes and Quickly, right? Like, right there, I you you have a, I think something you could sell New York. If I were AK, that's how I'd be selling it. Flip side, if if you wanted though Quickly or Grimes, like that's that's where I think it's a little trickier. That's where I don't think you're getting that draft capital back, or even Obi Toppin maybe. Like I, if you still value him, but. I know. Yeah, that's man. that's why I threw that out there. Like it's the the sale has gotten much tougher for me, and it was it already wasn't an easy one. Uh, specifically, when we're talking about Zach Levine and uh, what we would hope to get in return for him, and, and what we think realistically realistically the, the Bulls could get. Like it's becoming a tougher and tougher sale. Just looking around the league and what's happening because of the CBA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is, it, it is going to make it, I think, very interesting just seeing how all this plays out because usually what's so fun about the NBA offseason, especially when we get into this free agency window, is the amount of transactions that happen fast and furious and the amount of trades that just pop out of nowhere. So does that all kind of get, you know, quieted or does it happen even more, especially with you know, some younger teams that have this cap space open to them that could make these moves and could be, you know, waiting for salary dumps. Like Orlando, that's another situation where, I mean, they're primed and poised probably to police a team if they wanted to. So that's why I'm hoping the Bulls don't even pick up the phone with them. Please, for the love of God, don't do it. You already, they already got you once. Don't do it again. AK AK might be gun shy anyway with with Orlando. I wouldn't, yeah, I know. I wouldn't touch... (laughs) 
Orlando with a 10 foot pole, but you know, like those teams, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we see them start to, you know, really make a flurry of moves because if there are teams trying to avoid that headache with this new CBA, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we see a lot of those teams very active. Um, as we start to kind of wrap up and stuff, I wanted to throw some scenarios your way because it's kind of hard to pinpoint like, you know, who should the Bulls go after? What are some areas of need? Like given their cap situation, it's going to be very hard to predict. So probably not even worth playing that game of like, you know, hey, who who do you want them to sign? Like who, who the fuck knows until we know the whole situation. But there's a lot of intrigue, I think, with what's going to happen with free agents on their own team, right? Like we already know with Nikola Vucevic and his uh, contract extension talks. Um, he has until Friday to sign that extension. So that's on the 30th. So that'll be very interesting because we'll get into that negotiation window later that afternoon, I believe. And, and Drummond's is Thursday, the day before, which could be interesting with, with Nas Reed getting, I think, a couple million over the, the MLE. That I want to actually real quick before I get into some of this other stuff, that Nas Reed contract, I think seeing it, this should help Bulls fans I think understand why Vooch's contract might look the way it looks, even with a hometown discount. There's still I think going to be a, a I don't want to say a premium, but I think that Vooch could get himself a good contract if he did hit the open market, um, at least. I think would you know some people were saying well if if you if Vooch hit the market would he even get you know more than like fifteen mil a year I think so I do after seeing that Nasri contract yeah I think he will at least eighteen right and that's that's a hell of a pickup for him yeah exactly so if if it were you in this scenario what what is the deal that if you were AK and Mark Eversley right now what do you think that contract what would that contract look like from you to, to Nikola Vucevic right now? Knowing what you know now, knowing all the reports we've heard and all the speculation, what's the deal you're handing Vooch today? <laughs> Maybe two for two for 40. Two for 40? If I'm at the third year, it's got to be like a team option or some non-guarantees in there. I'm I'm not the salary cap guy or a contract guy to be asking, but something like that. Um, Cause at a certain point you're just pushing yourself even farther into the corner. Yeah. Um, depending on how much money you want to give him to continue playing here. Um, and you can't do that. You're already ass to the wall as it is. I see like I I'm, that's the number that I keep thinking in my head too, is like, I think the 20 mil a year, you know, we, we were kind of hearing about hometown discount. Maybe it could be like 18. Um, but I think if you go two for two for 40 with a non-guaranteed last year at 18, maybe that's where the hometown discount is. Um, or maybe some type of, yeah, I wouldn't do like, maybe you don't do the team option, but maybe you do some type of, mutual kind of option or something along those lines partially guaranteed so that way there's some 
some way to to kind of give him a little extra, and then if you kind of notice the declining play in a couple years, then you can cut bait. At least get some of your money back. Yeah. Is is there a world where Vucevic takes a one-year deal for more money? You know, Matt Peck brought that up on Bulls Gold last week when he he, he was a guest uh, with Big Dave on on the Bulls Gold podcast. By the way, they gave us a shout out if you if you didn't hear it. They were talking about rebuilding, retooling debate, and they said re- shout out to Matt and Drew Rebuildable Podcast. <laughs> you know, yeah. So that was great. Appreciate the <laughs> shout out there. Um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting concept. I don't think though Vooch would do like. Where does Vooch gain from that? You know, there's yeah. there's benefit of getting a lot of security. But if you were to say, all right, well, we'll give you a one year twenty three million dollar deal or a one year twenty four million dollar deal. Like honestly, given given where you're at in terms of of the bird rights situation, you can give him that contract. Like, it's not a bad thought. I just don't know if he would, if he would take that instead of getting like, you know, in your scenario of a two year contract at forty mil, getting forty million guaranteed as opposed to twenty five, and then having to take a swing next year. And if if he takes a big dip this year, then he yeah. loses out on a lot of money. That's true. Like, I mean, I would love it if I was a Bulls fan. If, you know, as a Bulls fan, I like it because then, one, yeah. One one thing I would love to know, in, in part of these negotiations, is Vooch asking for a change in his role or philosophy, I, or what they what they plan to get from him next year or whatever, you know, however many years this contract is going to be for. I wonder how much that's playing into the negotiations or if it's pretty much just about him getting what he can get financially. You know, I'd be stunned if that hasn't come up at any point. Like, and that's, it's hard to say because Vooch doesn't seem like the kind of guy that like is always going to throw people under the bus or be kind of, you know, rude to teammates and stuff like that. Like, you know, he's been asked about this so much about his role and there's times where he's been honest but never you know never being you know rude or or talking bad about teammates while saying it you know um but i'm sure it's it's probably come up like and i'm sure he's probably you know curious because he does gain to benefit from you know, having a guy like Demar moved, like, because that takes away some redundancy. And again, it, the two-man game with Zach and Vooch, I think there's something there that you can definitely build off of. Um, so yeah, I'm, I, I would think that's had to have come up probably within the negotiations. Like, his people at least asking, like, what's the what's the future of this team? Is the profile of this team going to change? You know. Um. So yeah, I would love to be a fly on the wall in those negotiations for sure. <laughs> oh yeah, most definitely, <laughs> most definitely. So there, there's two other guys I want to want to ask you about, and it's uh, two two young guards on the team: Io Desumu, Kobe White. So we know they both got qualifying offers extended to them. What that means, it basically opens up 
Uh, since both are in restricted free agency, it, it allows the Bulls to match any potential uh, offer that another team throws at them. Um, now, Kobe, I think, is one that we know probably could get those offers out there. Io's the trickier one. Now, Io's qualifying offer puts him at about, what, $5 million? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. So, with the Bulls in the situation they're in, like, they're they're pretty cash-strapped. We all know that. Um, I think it's, in a lot of Bulls fans' opinion, and I think in our opinion, would be advantageous to for sure bring Kobe White back. Um, mm-hmm. Is there a dollar amount? I'll start with Kobe. Is there a dollar amount where you would almost feel a little, you know, skittish in bringing back Kobe White? Like, is there an average annual salary that would scare you to death? Um, again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the money guy, but I, I think he's he's worth probably MLE, I would guess, right? A little over twelve million. Mm-hmm. Um, he's probably maybe he'll ask for fourteen, fifteen a year, maybe. So would would fifteen million a year kind of? make your sphincter tighten up a little bit? I think so. Yeah? I think so. I think so. <laughs> okay, now 13? Palatable for you? Palatable. Palatable? Palatable. I mean, it's, it's a $2 million difference, but with the Chicago Bulls right now, like that makes all the difference in the world. Every cent counts. That's, that's the position they're in, man. <laughs> and that, that's why... This situation with Ab Dasumu, to me, it, it may not be looking good. I know that sucks because he's a hometown kid. Um, <laughs> fighting a line eye alum, but five mil? I, I, I wonder how close another team would even come to offering offering him that. Mm. And it's, it's, there's enough redundancy on this roster where I don't think – Anybody could look at the front office letting I.O. go with, like, just total recklessness. Like, they, 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 it, there, were, there would be some sense in them doing that if they were able to replace him with somebody that brought more, more value to the roster. And I hate to say it because I.O., you know, he yeah. struggled last year, but he, he's, still, he's still a young kid. He's still a young player who still can develop for sure, and he brings – that, that grit and grind attitude on the defensive end that, that you, you still, you know, there's still some value to that. Well, you think about it, like, Io, we never expected him to be in the role he was in his rookie year. And he ended up being a valuable role player from the get-go. The minute he came in, he added value. Like, last year, I think was just that sophomore slump kind of coming into a effect and I think being thrusted into a role that he probably shouldn't have been in. You know, it's I think that's the 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 problem when you're evaluating this. It's like Kobe and Io could have potentially be better pieces on this roster and, and good moves to have if you improve other fringe signings and you know you maybe shake up something with your starting you know unit. But in order to do that, it's like you gotta possibly sacrifice one of these guys. Yep. Um, 
But it'll again, definitely be interesting to see. What do you think happens? Do you think both of them are back or one of them's gone? I feel like one of them, and again, this is nothing against uh, the player. This is just a situation that they're in and them still wanting to compete and not take any steps back. I think one of them, and I'm looking at Io, probably has to be the odd man out. That sucks to say. It definitely sucks to say, but it's, it's like a game of Jenga here, man. Like, Man, that would be... <laughs> I feel like both would be a kick in the crotch if they went to another team. Io's the one that I think if he goes to another team and becomes a high-end role player and, you know, we start to see maybe, you know, his role expand, maybe his three-point shooting get better, that's going to be one that's going to hurt, I think, a lot because I don't want to make too much like of the Chicago connection, but, you know, a local guy picked in the second round. And this is your chance to probably like flex your muscle of player development and you let him walk out the door. I think that's going to be a tough pill to swallow. Uh, not only for the Bulls fans, I think for the front office down the road, if that pans out. Kobe's interesting because Kobe, I don't know, in a weird way, they can always pin that on the other administration. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, well, you know, he had the the residuals of, of Garpax boiling, right? Like, eh that residue was already there and he was kind of damaged to begin with. And it took him too long in our system to get to where he needed. And, you know, $15 million is a lot of money. Um, but flip side, I also understand like if he takes another step that, that also could hurt. So I, I, that's why I'm glad I'm not an executive in the NBA because <laughs> of things like yeah. that, man, that's, that's tough. Yeah. Like, uh, so I, I said what I what I kind of want to happen, but I feel like they'll bring both of them back. I feel like they will. Yeah. And at, the, at the at the you know at the mercy of <laughs> their spacing. And I feel like I think that's going to be the move too. Like I think both will end up back with the Bulls. This is where it gets interesting. The confidence that AK was exuding and Mark Eversley was exuding at that press conference, are they thinking like there's there's one player that's going to get moved that's going to reset this whole core, if you will, right? Like, I know we keep saying about DeMar DeRozan, but like hypothetically, if that's what it is and the additions are being made through subtraction because now we've brought in better fits, right? Like, you know, we bring in that starting point guard. Let's say that's the move. Somehow they bring in a starting point guard. That means Iodosumu, Kobe White fall into the roles that they should be in. That means, you know, possibly improving the situation with Zach, improving the situation for Pat Williams, where Pat Williams now can stay in the starting lineup and you don't have to have Alex Caruso stepping into that role. And Alex Caruso can be in the role that he thrives in. Like, maybe that's the thought process. Maybe that's why they're saying, eh, just wait until the, we make those moves. Having said all that, if you make those moves, where are you really at, though? <laughs> I think that's the other question, though. Like, does that really vault you into where you really want to be as a Eastern Conference contender or a championship contender? Probably not. <laughs> um, 
I mean, maybe it, it makes you slightly better, but I, you know, that's, that's just my thought. Maybe that's what they're thinking. And maybe that's the move or potential flurry or storm that could happen is if some piece of significance is, is moved to start the, the off season. Yeah, I I don't know, man. He, AK did seem, if you listen to him, he did seem almost kind of snarky in, in his in that in that response. Um, I don't think he meant it that way, but uh, just kind of, hey, you know, I, I know you want to be quick to judge us on this draft night and us trading two second round picks for what you guys, who you guys feel is going to be a project, but just wait. Wait to judge us until free agency period is over and you see our team for what it will be or looks to be going into the next season. So that that automatically makes me think that he's got something up his sleeve. What that something is, I'm not quite sure. And then is that something going to be something that Bulls fans, like you just said, feel like it's going to vault them into the top four where they can – they can be a home court team in the playoffs, or is it a something that assures them or makes them feel confident that they'll be able to sneak into the playoffs as a seventh or eighth seed? And and that's what's going to be interesting to see because, um, you know, that I think that's the ongoing debate in Bulls Nation. Like, what is it that actually moves the needle for you? Is it being competitive enough to be, you know? eighth seed meaning you're, you're going to be kind of on that fringe of of being a playing team or is it actually to vault you into that top upper echelon of the eastern conference and you know i guess maybe we do um you know and i'm gonna steal something a, a thought from another content creator from from big dave watson of chgo bulls podcast you know, he keeps kind of bringing up like we've never really seen Zach thrive with all those pieces together. And I kind of hinted to that. Like we really it has kind of been like hodgepodge. We haven't really seen him as the focal point. Maybe that's what has to happen. Like, do we have to actually have like the final moment of making meaningful moves to see like can Zach in the right circumstances actually take you up another level and if he takes you up another level like let's say gets you into that i don't know four to six range right possibly get you into home court but at the very least you know keeps you in the playoff area instead of play in range does that move the needle for for bulls nation like I would say that would be improvement and that would make me think, okay, well, if I finally add another major piece, maybe that gets me over the hump. Like that's one way to look at it. That's more of a, a an optimistic outlook probably, but you know, that that's the only thing that I keep thinking, like, is that what they're thinking at the advocate center? Like we changed the profile of the team. We are able to get Zach the right pieces around him. And if we make that leap up into that range, now we have a team that might have the ability to attract that next player. And that's when we dip into the luxury tax. Maybe that's what they're thinking. Maybe. Maybe. Um, 
I don't feel great about their ability to make that happen. Not necessarily just um, them as executives, but just the perfect storm I feel like would need to happen for them to be able to, to make that happen. But I, w- I would like to see it. I would like to see if you put a competent, proficient point guard next to, next to Zach Levine with competent shooting around him and a rim-protecting, rim-running, rim, rim, rim-running big man around him, if he can be, if he can make a, a similar type of jump as a Devin Booker where mm-hmm. we look at Devin Booker now like as, as a winning player, as somebody who can be a piece to a championship team, whereas Zach Levine hasn't quite gotten there yet with his narrative around the league. You know, I, I would like to see that. Um, I just don't know how feasible it'll be because mm-hmm. it still might take it, it may take some patience. Yeah, for them to make this happen if they're going to continue to be hamstrung financially. Well, it, it, and and that's the thing too. Like, what will what would have to happen for the Bulls to get to that point? Like, there'd have to be other teams in the Eastern Conference that fall back. Yeah. Um, because I I think that's the other thing too. Like, we're we're also watching the rest of the conference start to get better, right? Like, we know Orlando's probably going to take a jump up this year. You know, they played really well after the new year. So, you know, you have that team. You have Indiana on the rise. Like, there's a lot that's kind of in the Bulls' way. Um, so who falls back? That would be the other scenario. You like, And are those moves you're making kind of, you know, going to leapfrog leapfrog teams that take a step back leapfrog teams that are going to make a huge jump forward. That's it's a lot to ask. So it'll definitely be interesting there. I, before we, we wrap up though, I, I do want to bring something to your attention. So Daniel Greenberg on Twitter at shy sports updates, probably one of the most controversial Twitters because he's an aggregator. That's all he does. He takes other people's reports, other people's thoughts, Tweets him out. He does give them credit. I think he gets shit on a lot for not citing. He does cite sources. Sometimes he cites things incorrectly, though. But because we're doing this live, I did want to point this out to you, Drew. So he tweeted about something from Zach Lowe's uh, Low Post podcast Mm -hmm. that apparently Zach Lowe said on it, quote, I've heard the Chicago Bulls are hoping to get Nikola Vucevic back at a deal that won't make their fans vomit. Like three years for fifty-five million, three for sixty, three for sixty-five. So that's what he quoted. That's what he pulled from the podcast. I don't want to really like. It, sometimes context is important, so I would encourage listeners right now probably check that out, see what kind of context, what other conversation was brought up with it. I mean, that's kind of interesting because we, I think we heard that like three sixty-five from another reporter, and I'm trying to remember. This was a couple of weeks ago that that was the the uh speculation also so um you know if we do that math like i mean that that's a lower annual salary than what what you and i were talking about a a little bit unless you get up to that 60 million mark of course but Mm -hmm. um so interesting Interesting. So I, it, it, this, this is what that tells me. Nobody freaking knows what, <laughs> what actually is happening in these negotiations because that's a pretty, like, think about that. That, that fluctuation, 55, 60, 65, it's a pretty 
significant difference if you start going per yeah. year. So it is. It is. Everybody's just playing that guessing game, and um, even those people who are close to the situation are not quite in the know about what's what's being hammered out, what what negotiations are happening behind closed doors. So. Like them, we're all just just waiting to see how this is going to shake out. I don't know about you, but uh, I'm freaking terrified because this is the first year on Twitter that not everybody has that blue or yellow check mark. So who knows what kind of misinformation is going to get thrown out around NBA Twitter? Um, you know what? Actually, I lied. I got one one last 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 thing for you, Drew. <laughs> Because um, I feel like this has to be addressed because we did not talk about it at all. So we know point guard's a big void for the Chicago Bulls. And of course, now we know that Derrick Rose is going to hit free agency. This is always a topic of conversation whenever Derrick Rose is available in free agency or in a trade or open on the trade market. You get that camp of Bulls fans that want to bring Derrick back. I understand the need for a point guard. I mean, I understand that the Bulls need a point guard, but, like, is Derrick Rose really a fit? In my mind, no. But what what's your opinion? Are you at all interested? Do you think the Bulls will be interested? Like Mark Stein seems to think that they're one of the teams that's intrigued, but, again, I always feel like they're always floated out there. What's your thoughts? Do you think this is smoke, or do you think there's an actual possibility he could be back? Wrong time, wrong place. Agree with that. The Bulls only have so many roster spots left to fill, and as best as they can, they need to make sure that somebody in those roles can shoot the ball and somebody in those roles can be the starting point guard that this team needs. Mm-hmm. And... Obviously, you and I, Bulls fans nationwide, worldwide, especially those from Chicago, love Derrick Rose, will always love Derrick Rose. But I want him, if he's going to continue playing, to go somewhere where he has a shot at being in the playoffs and maybe contributing to a, a title contender. I don't, I don't want to see him on the Bulls miscast in his final days playing basketball. Agreed. Agreed. Like, look, if they sign him, will I – still root for him and and be happy to see him probably yeah of course i'm gonna get i'm gonna have the the nostalgic feeling and i'll probably sit there watch that first game probably preseason game and and get maybe emotional watching it but look i'd rather take my swing bringing back one of the young guys like kobe white and iodasumu and trying them at the point guard spot uh before bringing in derrick rose like of course, I want to make a, a, a more substantial upgrade at the point guard spot, but I just feel like with the current core that you have, it just doesn't seem like the right fit. Like it just, you have to have somebody that's a master facilitator, I feel like, to work with a Zach Levine and a Nikola Vucevic. And I don't think that's who Derek is. Derek operates with the ball in his hands. Like if Derek could play off ball a little better, maybe, but that's just not who he is. He's never been that. You know, even now in a, in a more limited capacity, that's he's still very ball dominant. So, to, it, to me, it makes no sense to just trot him, trot him out here for nostalgia's sake. 
And it's crazy because they had a, a dynamite series against the the Hawks. What was this, the, year, the season before last for the New mm-hmm. York Knicks? Arguably their, if not their first, their second best player. And and this, I think, has to be stated. He is not – he wasn't benched because necessarily of performance. It was because they had younger players that they thought they need to get on the floor and that fit better with the current – roster they had in new york like i think derek still has value like i i think we've seen that since you know that the year in minute the two years in minnesota detroit and then back in new york like he's shown he can still bring a lot to your team offensively and he he could you know pop at any moment like i i think that's that's still there I think this season it was just they they had made, you know, they brought in younger players like, you know, brought up Grimes and quickly like those guys emerged. And I think that's why Derrick Rose was mostly on the bench this year and really only like the victory cigar for the New York Knicks. But I think, I do think he's going to bring value to a team and, and I hope it's with a team that's contending next year. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. But, Give me, yeah. give me Monte Morris. Give me Javon Carter. If Kyle Lowry is somehow waived, even give me Kyle uh, injured. <laughs> Kyle, well, Kyle Lowry. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. Like, there's talk about him being waived and you know stretched and waived and all that stuff with with the Heat. You know, maybe maybe that's an option. You know, we'll see. Um, it, it'll definitely be interesting to to pay attention to everything happening. So of course, like I said, we're recording this on the 27th. So, you know, you'll probably hear this on the 28th, 29th, 30th. There could be rumors and things that kind of happen along the way. So, you know, we understand that. So some of the things you, you heard, maybe something already occurred and and we didn't get to it, but um, I'm sure a lot of these storylines are still going to be relevant leading into, uh, into the beginning of that free agency period. Uh, any final thoughts before we, we sign off? Just anticipating Friday and the start of free agency and how this front office is going to address the weaknesses on this roster. What Nikola Vucevic is going to decide to do, because ultimately it is going to be his decision and the ripple effects from whatever decision he makes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm definitely paying attention on June 29th. I feel like Andre Drummond's opt-in or opt-out could possibly tell a bigger story. Mm-hmm. You know, of of what could be coming the next day with Nikola Vucevic. Um, I know in some like think okay well wait a minute those should be mutually exclusive you never know like I, I think hearing him say that he was planning on opting in and if, if he you know suddenly pivots I'm definitely intrigued as to why um, you brought it up earlier could because of the Nas Reed contract and realize like shit I can go get paid way more than what I get paid right now so that could be <laughs> it but it'll be interesting to see because um, I think that could could tell us what what could be coming down the pipeline for sure um well during all this free agency buzz 
Um, you could definitely follow along to Drew and I's reactions. Drew's at look what Drew did on Twitter. I'm at mgentil88 on Twitter. You can follow the Rebuildable podcast at rebuild underscore a underscore bowl to get some of uh, our additional thoughts and even uh, the latest episodes that do drop. Um, best way to find our episodes, though, of course, is by subscribing, following us. So anywhere where you stream your podcasts, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, no matter where you stream, you can find us. And, you know, if you're subscribed, you get the latest episodes immediately uh, sent to you and you'll get notified of it. I think that's a great option. But, you know, right? Like, Drew and I are going to tell you to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, It's definitely going to be a lot of fun, Bulls Nation. So we'll definitely be back soon uh, with some of our, our thoughts on the early portions of the new league year and and free agency window. So be sure to uh, tune in again. Drew Stevens, I'm Matt Gentile, and we'll catch you soon. Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable Podcast. Be sure to check us out and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever else you stream your podcasts.